be attentive. Brethren, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God love, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. While we were still weak at the right time, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Why, one will, will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we are now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Not only so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received our reconciliation. Peace be with you, the reader. So if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's not often on a given liturgical day that the epistle reading and the gospel reading dovetail so nicely as they do today. If you look carefully at both Romans chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6... Both the Apostle Paul and Matthew the Evangelist are asking us to focus today on fear and anxiety versus peace. So I want you to think about that for just a moment. Fear and anxiety versus peace. And I want you to listen to these quotes from the epistle reading. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that means before Jesus Christ, mankind did not have peace with God. We were not reconciled with our Creator. We were not reconciled with the One in whose image we were created, whose likeness we were called to become. We came from God, and we will all stand before God, but we were not reconciled with Him. That should be a tremendous source of anxiety. A tremendous source of fear. But Jesus Christ brings peace because Jesus Christ brings reconciliation. He ends the enmity between us and God. So having come from Him, now when we stand before Him, we will be in communion with Him. How many of you have ever had to go stand before someone with whom you are in conflict with, who you have enmity with, 
who you are not in communion with. How comfortable is that? Not very. We love as human beings, we thrive being in communion with one another and with our Creator. The next verse. We rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Do you know that you are invited to share in the glory of God? In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, when He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, He says, That they may be one, even as you and I, Father, are one. That the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Because they have me, they have our joy and our glory and our unity and our peace. And we should rejoice in this reality. What a tremendous source of peace that the world cannot take away from us. A third quote, and Maria read this very beautifully. We rejoice even in our sufferings. The world doesn't rejoice in its sufferings. Put me out of pain, says the world. Give me something. Take me out of this. Help me to escape this at all costs. No matter what the lesson might be, the truth, the illumination, the growth. But we as Christians, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Do you know that there were seven letters written to the seven churches of Ephesus in the book of Revelation? And to every one of those churches, the letter contained the following. He who endures to the end will be saved. You're not saved in a moment of time. It's a process because you have life and breath and an active free will. You and I, all of us, must endure until the end in order to be saved. In golf, it's not how you drive, it's how you arrive. Every corporate prayer service in the Orthodox Church, we say, and for a Christian end to our lives without pain or suffering and for a good defense before the fearful judgment seat of Christ. For us as Christians, it's also how we arrive. Will God find us in repentance, in faith, giving our assent to Him with our will at the point of our death? We know that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, Christ-like character, godly character, truly human character, not fallen, distorted, pseudo-character. Our journey in Christ is all about producing godly character in each of us, as adults and as children. We are literally to resemble Jesus Christ to such a degree that people would accusatorily call us little Christs. Like they did for the first time in Antioch. You, you act just like Jesus Christ. You remind me of Him. 
You have the same character as that one we crucified. You have the same attributes. Now they didn't mean it well, but can you imagine hearing that? I would say, whoa, thank you so much. That's my goal. Suffering is a cause of joy because it produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Hope in what? Hope in whom? The world would say, you should have hope in yourself. You should have hope in one another. You are the apex of creation. Trust in yourself. Just go out there and do it. Like Nike says, and spends billions and billions and billions of dollars. And they're being very successful. I see at least six cranes over Nike's world headquarters. Because people have bought into the message, just do it. Whatever feels good, whatever seems right, whatever people tell you, whatever the masses are saying, that herd mentality, just do it. There's no hope in God. There's no mistrust of self. But we rejoice in our suffering because it produces character and character produces hope in God, hope in heaven and whatever heaven values. Do you know why God's kingdom is not going to have any end? Because His truth has no end. What He values has no end. It is life. It is lasting. It is eternal. And all of us who become like that and buy into that, we, through our communion and union with Jesus Christ, are also eternal, immortal, never-ending. We receive what every human being truly desires, wants, and needs based on the blueprint that God has made us in, that only He holds. Our hope is in that. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which He has given us. How many of you have been baptized and chrismated? Raise your hand. You have been sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have communion with the Holy Trinity. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have Son, Jesus Christ. If you have the Son, Jesus Christ, then you have God, His Father. You have the mind of God. The will, the operation, the energy, the glory of God in you. You are sealed in Him. So how could our hope ever disappoint us? Are you afraid? Are you anxious? Because the things in the world that are happening might mean some suffering, some sacrifice, some pain, some trial, some tribulation. Will you maybe have to give up something to gain everything? This is why we as Christians rejoice in our suffering. Another verse. God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet weak, 
Christ died for us. Do you want to know what the key to sobriety is? Whether you're an alcoholic, whether you're a gambler, whether you're a substance abuser, whether you're a sex addict, whether you're a workaholic, or whether you're just a sinner. The key to sobriety is finally realizing that you cannot do it. You are not God. You are not your own Savior. You do not have the answers. You finally hit the bottom, you go to your knees, you humble yourself, and you look up and you say, I need you. While we were yet sinners and weak and unable... This is when God shows His love for us and dies for us so that we can have joy and peace and hope. Last verse. Since we are now justified by His blood, by His death, by His sacrifice, by His love, by Him trampling down death, by Him destroying sin, by Him defeating the evil one, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. This is all about a temporal perspective versus an eternal perspective. Where are your chips? Are they in the world? Or are they in the kingdom? I promise you, if you have your chips in the world, then you will be anxious. It's a given. Why do you think that anxiety is probably the 21st century first world malady? First world. You go to the third world, you may not find anxiety as their chief struggle. But it's certainly the chief struggle of first world citizens who do not have their hope in God or their hope in His kingdom. So let's get to the gospel. I know I'm taking up some time here. But Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is all His teaching, He says that the eye is the lamp of the body. If I am blind, this doesn't work, then I am in physical darkness. If the spiritual eye of my heart is blind, then my inner world, my soul, is in darkness. How many people are stumbling around today in 21st century America in spiritual darkness because the spiritual eyes of their hearts do not function? The answer to that would be the majority. And it is rapidly growing. The largest segment of America's religious population are those who are none and done. Not those who were never. Those who have gone to church and have not found Christ. And they have left it. And now they are done with organized religion. That's a scary reality. I never thought when I was these kids' age that that would be my reality only in my mid-50s. How rapidly is our society changing? 
The next thing that the Lord says is that we cannot serve two masters, especially two masters that are opposed to each other, God and mammon. And he's not just talking about money. Really what he's talking about is everything I've been talking about. He's really talking about security, comfort, pleasure. He's really talking about the temple versus the eternal. He's talking about me versus God. Who is going to occupy the throne of my heart? Me or God? The world is anxious and afraid about many, many, many things because the world is occupying the throne of its own heart. Where God belongs, the individual has taken over and usurped that throne. We need to be pursuing God with the same erotic love that He is pursuing us with. This is how we were created. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride. What bride does not pursue her bridegroom? What bridegroom does not pursue her bride? There's a point where we stop playing hard to get. Where we assent. Where we embrace it and celebrate it and give ourselves over to it fully. This is what brings peace. And this is why our Lord said... That the soul, I want to read this to you. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. And the English is usually translated about your life. But you know that's not what it says. In the Greek it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your soul. See, he. Then he says, therefore, don't worry about food and drink and clothing. Because your soul doesn't eat physical food. Your soul doesn't drink physical drink. Your soul is already clothed with the image of God. It's already been given the glory of God. It doesn't need physical raiment. So why are we worried about these things? Why are we so arduously pursuing it? So to the point that we are afraid and anxious that it cuts us off from God Himself. And He ends with, Seek ye therefore the kingdom of God and His righteousness and every single other thing that you need. Physical, emotional, psychological, intellectual will be given to you. But if you seek those things, then you will gain the whole world and you will forfeit your soul. And when you come before God, He will say, Depart from me, you wicked servant, for I never knew you. You do not belong because of your choices in the kingdom that has been prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Who wants to hear that? Not I. Everything that I hope for, everything that I yearn for, everything that I desire, everything that I was created for, 
all that I am about deep, deep within inside of myself, and this applies to every one of you, is what, exactly what God wants to offer us. We just cannot serve two masters. So I want you, right here and right now, to make a decision inside of yourself that you are going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And you are going to love His church, His body, of which He is the head, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And you are going to love your brother and sister who you unite yourself as one body by partaking of the one bread. Who if Jesus burns in his heart for, and Jesus died for, that you would burn in your heart for, and you would die for. This is what it means to be a Christian who has peace and joy, and not fear and anxiety. If we have this, Christ, his church, and one another, then we are already in the kingdom. We are already experiencing a taste now, but not yet in its fullness of all that God wants us to experience. So I want you to pray and make this decision and renew it every single day and every single moment of your life moving forward. Amen. Now before you rise, I have a couple housekeeping items that I... uh, always seem to forget to say. So I wanted to say them. For two weeks on a Sunday at the front of your weekly announcements, we had uh, a little article on Andidra, the blessed bread that you receive after communion or at the end of service. I hope you read that. I kept it in there for two weeks. This bread is blessed. It's not Holy Communion, but nevertheless, it's blessed over the altar. It's blessed when it's cut and used for the Holy Gifts. And therefore, when we receive it, we need to treat it as something that is holy. Therefore, do not come after Communion and grab piece after piece. Take one piece, place it in your right palm over your left palm. And eat it that way so that no crumbs drop on the ground. And if crumbs do drop on the ground, pick them up and consume them. Parents, you need to watch your children. You need to teach them. You need to witness to them. They are not going to do this naturally. They're going to do it because you help them to learn how to do this. The same is true when we receive Andidron at the end of the service. We treat it as something holy. We don't lay it down. We don't leave it unconsumed. We don't treat it as a normal piece of bread or food. That's one thing. The second thing is during the great entrance. When the clergy are carrying the gifts, these gifts are not consecrated. But nevertheless, they're carrying them with care and they're making a procession. Some of you piously reach out to touch the vestments of the clergy. I'm not going to tell you not to do that, even though it's not a part of our holy tradition. But I am going to tell you to not move across rows or at the end to come here in the front 
And I am telling parents that if your children are going to do this, they need to be extremely careful. Because this is a very fearful thing. And we, the clergy, have discussed this. And we really don't feel safe when a bunch of people are reaching out and grabbing us. It's very important for us to be pious and prayerful. It's also important for us to be appropriate and careful and not distracting others. So please take this seriously. These are my housekeeping uh, items, and now we'll go forward with the liturgy.